Next Chapter Podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to new Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The king of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.A.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end Anticipation as a habit to set you up For disappointment in evening entertainment But tonight I don't understand what the fuck you're saying, Alex Stop being so British The song is The View from the Afternoon But you'd have no idea Because the British slang is their thing And it's by the Arctic Monkeys from the 2006 record What People Say I Am That's Not What I'm Not It's also number 371 out of 500 On the 500 with Josh Adam Myers Hi Fleece Army How is everybody today? You guys coming to my shows? Because I have got some diddly doos I'm doing a bunch of shows in L.A., so check uh, my social media for that. Good one. Sunday, May 9th, I'm at Supernova, which is a really cool outdoor show in, like, uh, what do they call it? When you're in the circle and everybody's around you? In the round, you idiot, Josh. May 13th through the 16th, I will be at the House of Comedy in Phoenix, Arizona. Tickets are at my website, joshadamires.com. And from the 20th until about... June, like June 24th, I'll be in New York at the stand almost every night. I'll be at the Comedy Cellar. I will be at the New York Comedy Club. I will be in New York. Maybe I'm going to stay longer. I have no idea. The world's a crazy place, and uh, I feel like chicken tonight. I feel like Funny Bone St. Louis, June 24th through the 27th. St. Louis, come out, man. Let's go get that weird pizza that you guys have. Tickets. JoshAdamMyers.com. Watch the podcast, guys. Every Wednesday on the Patreon. Join it. Support the podcast. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. There's 19 employees of the show. We love them. Pete, our editor, hasn't eaten in three weeks. So help support the podcast. Support, support, support. But if you guys want the video, every Thursday on our YouTube. Let's talk about the Arctic Monkeys. The Arctic Monkeys is a very very special band that's been around since 1945. No. They're a bunch of British teenagers that created this incredible record and basically started a movement in London and in the world. Most of you didn't really find out about them until AM came out. I, myself, was so obsessed with British music that when I first heard about them, I was like, who is this band? 
They won the Mercury Music Prize. We have to, we have to dig in. We have to find out why they're so special. So for today's episode, we got a guy that is a fan of AM and didn't really know a lot about that first record besides the hits. And he just happens to be one of the funniest human beings on the face of this earth, my good buddy, a Mr. Dan Big Ass Head Soder. You know Dan as being one half of Sirius XM's The Bonfire with him and Big J Okerson. Maybe you know him as Mafi on Billions, or maybe you've seen his incredible HBO special, Son of Gary. These are the guests that I want to book. I want to book the people that I love. I want to book the people that are hilarious and also the people that do the work. And Dan, not being an enormous fan, did everything that you need. And this is a fun one. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, leave a five-star rating and a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Come on, follow me, guys. I'm almost at 20,000, and I want to break that. It's just taking a while. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com where you can tell us to go fuck ourselves and follow the Facebook group run by crazy motherfucking Evan at the 500 Podcast with Jam. We also have a fan page. Don't know who runs it, but, you know, join both of them. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, there's nothing left to say. So Alex from the Arctic Monkeys, why don't you introduce it? Hey, we got we dropping dirty up in the wall. Why never people's high with the house guy and the Arctic Monkey? What's up, Fleece Army? Before we get into this week's podcast, I want to talk to you about our incredible CBD sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. If you're looking for products that will heal your mind, heart, soul, spirit, get rid of anxiety, get rid of aches and pains, I have the product for you. They are a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Sunset Lake CBD is special. They started in Vermont as a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream and then found out, hey man, the CBD business is taking over the world. Let's do this. They diversified, started growing hemp for CBD, and the rest is history and delivered right to your door. And they have a product for pretty much everything. Let's say you like smoking. They got pre-rolls. Let's say you want a blunt. They got hemp cigars. Let's say you just want to take a bong hit of natural goodness. They have hemp flour. And if you don't want to smoke, because let's say your throat gets hurty hurt, get a little bit of the tincture. I use it. My dog uses it. If I want to go to sleep, I take a little too much. Perfect. And they have CBD coffee crafted to help with stress, aches, and pains. And they have a topical solution that I put on my beat up 41-year-old body that heals everything. Sunset Lake CBD will save you money by shipping this incredible high-quality CBD product directly from their farm to your door. And if you want to order, go to sunsetlakecbd.com and you can use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. Once again, sunsetlakecbd.com, use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. I believe in this company. Thank me later. And now back to the bar. Hey dude, I actually genuinely mean this. I like the Arctic Monkeys. I'm an Arctic Monkeys fan. When you asked me to come back on the podcast, I was like, this is going to be a lot of fun. That's immediately my first thought. And... um. I'm not gonna lie, Josh. I was very underwhelmed with this album, and I have a, I have a, I have a personal tie to it historically in my life, 
Um, and I don't know, dude. I just, it just <laughs> fucking all the songs at one point. I've probably listened to the album 10 times and I would say there's songs that I fucking love now that I didn't really get into before. And then there is also a lot of feeling of like, man, this album all sounds the same. It all is this. Yeah, it's very the same wavelength throughout the whole thing. For this to be above the album AM blows my mind because I, I genuinely love the album AM. And I think there's a lot of varying like songs on it. There's a lot. You get a lot of different moods on it. This one's yeah. just like fucking a guy came in your house was like, and you're like, all right, God, dude, fucking chill out. Stop being so aggressive, dude. Jesus. Yeah. I'll buy you a drink. Yeah. All right. All right. But I get, cause they're like, this is like young, this is young man rock. This is like, yes, dudes in their twenties that don't wake up hungover rock. Yeah. Yeah. This, it's this, I mean, the whole album I think is, is all about just like being like 19 years old in, london or south london yeah. or wherever the fuck they put this together they should mail a pack of cigarettes to everyone that bought this album just like there you go smoke <laughs> these and watch here's them. a guinness here's a pack of smokes you're good to enjoy go, you're good go to fight go. some soccer hooligans and just yeah. have a have a nice time in the loo in dan's in the defense uh, yeah am hadn't been recorded yet yeah uh, this no i know am came out in 2014 2013 yeah yeah i worked at i worked at kfma when this album came oh, out right. and we played I bet you look good on the dance floor. That was like a uh, an actual like I guess they would call it a power record in the radio programming community. But we played. Uh, I had the new music test department on Sunday nights from eight to ten that I inherited from Greg Rampage USA. Shout out to Gregor, still working. Greg at- Rampage late nights with Greg Rampage guys. He's now he now <laughs> goes he but now he goes under the name Gregor and he's up in Seattle at the end. But he. Uh, we would like listen to all these. We'd get albums. This is how broke I was when I lived in Tucson. I worked at KFMA. I was getting, you know, hour rates. I was working at Bed Bath and Beyond during the day to save up <laughs> to move out to New York City, and then I would, uh, you know, do stand up on the weekends, like in Albuquerque and in casino gigs and shit. So they would send us albums, and then we would rip it into our computer. But then we just mm-hmm. had like this. Like we physical copy. Yeah, we got a physical copy of whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not. Like I think in two thousand five, before it came out it came out in January of two thousand six, around two thousand the beginning of two thousand six. But we yeah. had a physical copy in oh five with the barcode the barcode hole punched out. So that's how you would get it. You get like one a full album and it was for the radio stations to pick if they wanted songs or it's when radio mattered still a little bit. But I remember I bet you look good on the dance floor. And then we would play on the test department. A song that I love was fake tales of San Francisco. I was like, this song fucking rules. And we would play it. You try not to play the new music too much because you don't want to get people sick of it. But we'd play it at least once a week, which was like on Sundays. It was not even, I think, a single that they released. So the album, I got kind of into it. But then I sold yeah. it because I was so broke. I would get <laughs> I would get these stacks of albums and I would put them in this box in the back of my Dodge Stratus. And then when it would fill up, I would go to Zia's, <laughs> this record store in Tucson, and I would give them it. And they'd be like, you can look around the store. And then I'd come back and they'd be like, do you want 
$250 store credit or $115 cash. And I, I was hoping you were going to be saying, like, I'd park my car. People would come up be like, all right, man. I oh, yeah. I was jay in it. I got six pence, <laughs> none the richer. You want some six pence, none the richer? What you want? I got, all the, I got that brand <laughs> new. I got that new, new Kings of Leon. What you like? You don't <laughs> oh, even know him yet. <laughs> you know about sex is on fire? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I but, got you. All right, put these on. <laughs> we'd have, like, Ben Lee albums. It was just like you'd have stuff that no one knew or cared about. Yeah. And then... You know, I I probably gave up a lot of great albums just by selling it for smokes and booze money. Sure. I Dude, I had a very similar situation because I was a music director for, I don't even remember Channel One News. It used to be piping yes, in middle school. I, I went school. to middle school. That was, Channel One News was the shit. Yeah, dude. I, I was, it was the only channel. <laughs> channel One, dude. Yeah, couple, I, who, I was, who went from there? There was like a couple people that got launched off that. that Alexander like, Marquard, who's on CNN. He's yes. like the, the Middle East dude. And I still keep in touch with him because I just thought, you know. Wait, what just, year did you work at Channel One? 2006. Seven. I got hired in November of 2006, and that was the last job I had before I moved to L.A. Damn. And And what's actually funny, because this came out right as I was graduating from college in 2006, and then I went to London to do an internship for Radio 1, and I was there for about a month. And the Arctic Monkeys was everywhere. Really? I mean – Everywhere, dude. It was the biggest band. Like, the, the, I remember every publication because you know they have they're like so thick with all like the Star Magazine oh, and all that kind of shit. Yeah, FMQB. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was everywhere. NME on every fucking city corner. There was a poster of Arctic Monkeys in that album cover, which got me into it. Yeah, and I almost went to go see them live, um, but instead I chose to go to a rave and do coke and Molly. Well, so, you know, yeah. fucking you yeah. live once priorities and whatever. Yeah. And I'll tell you, but, someone that's listening to the album years later, I think you made the right choice. I think. Oh, for, <laughs> no, they they were, I think, I didn't realize how big they were because they didn't blow up. I mean, KFMA was baby K-Rock. So it was basically like similar, very similarly programmed to how K-Rock in LA was. And then they were just kind of like a song we would play once in a while. But they weren't like, I think Cold War kids were bigger than them at that time. Yeah. Like in Cold America, War for kids sure. were fucking everywhere at that point well that's the difference between america and and fucking england because and i've said this on the podcast before but while i was there arctic monkeys were the biggest band in london the second biggest was the rack and tours yeah so so i mean in america people are like when well, the fucking rack and tours there's steady as she goes and no one gives a fuck about anything yeah, no one else, cared about they, level which was a great song great song dude the blue uh blue whatever the fuck it's called my blue vein oh I yeah mean, dude it's, it was a great record, but there's an appreciation in England for the music because it's like they care about punk, they care about new wave, they care about music so much more than we do. And you can see it here in America now because it's literally just people putting out the same hip-hop song over and over and over, yeah. and then these great guitar bands are just being pushed to the wayside. Man, I mean, I can't even think of what's the last great guitar band probably in the last five years that's came out. Fuck. Greta Van Fleet, um, but even them weren't no. they like? They got shit on, dude. I they're, know. They're that's like what gone I mean. already. Weren't they like they, really big? I don't, I'm not really familiar with them. Come on, my window, girl. Got to know I like you so hard. Come on, my. That song is such a ripoff. Of I didn't everything. even. Morty, did you roll get roll into roll. them? Did you ever they, get into? I saw them at a. I did. I DJed a gig at uh, what was that thing that Dave Grohl did? Um, the the Jam Cal Jam. Oh the yeah, Cal Jam. And I did, and I did that gig, and they were on, and I and I watched them while I was buying my kid a T-shirt, 
it's just so derivative of Zeppelin. Yeah. But it's that's the what everyone yeah. I read an article and they were like, these guys are Zeppelin. Well, and they're then kids, I, you know, they're kids and yeah. they're like brothers or shit. And so that's always like people you know, love Kings that of shit, Leon though. to me. They're not Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon to me is incredibly talented. Yeah. Like what's what's Their funny about record? that is when you get that I think music is very similar to comedy in that specific aspect of when you see someone super hyped up in comedy. Very rarely are you like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're that they're that good. It's such a fucking weird place to get put in like a Greta Van Fleet where they're like, they're like Zeppelin. And you're like, no, you're not. You got to do the actual thing. No. Got to be they, great. They, but I wonder if Arctic Monkeys, because the hype up to us. And I mean, again, I worked at a rock station in a fucking 60 second market. <laughs> it was like Tucson. <laughs> but it was, you know, we were still kind of reflective of KROQ and what they were doing. And so it was like, oh, yeah, they. I bet you look good on the dance floor poked through, but by no means did it like dominate in a way that you've seen. Like I worked at KFMA from like Oh two to 06, like late Oh six. And in 2002 white stripes and Queens of the stone age were like ripping. The, you'd play them once an hour. You'd play like yeah. either no one knows or go with the flow or Still Nation do. army or hardest button to button. I was in a cab last night coming home from the stand and you know i got i got a uh, let go terminated from 923 uh it was k-rock new york back in yeah. like oh nine no oh seven because they flipped to top 40 and it was weird last night coming home and they've since then they have flipped back to alternative and yeah. now I was driving home last night <laughs> they call and they yet? were playing. They came back from a commercial with seven nation army. And I was like, this is, I was high enough that I was like, this is freaking me out. This is fucking freaking me out. Cause it was like, dude, that was, I would probably say this era of, of rock music was, that's why I said there was like a personal connection. Cause this was when I worked in radio. So it was like, yeah. even if I wasn't directly like into the music, it was playing, you know, on the monitors when you're in the studio or you're like, I've probably back sold the Arctic Monkeys or front sold them so many times with I like I bet you look good on the dance floor. All right, Arctic Monkeys, you know, some stupid <laughs> shit radio joke. Yeah. So yeah. it was interesting to get into this album because honestly, I didn't really think of them until AM came out. And then it was also it was Greg Rampage USA. I was visiting him in Seattle and he's like, dude, you gotta listen to the new Arctic Monkeys. Just listen to it. AM. And I was like, all right. And I downloaded it and got fucked. I mean, I listened to it over and over and over. Also, you have that special connection because Josh Homme yeah, worked Hom on it. And Homme worked on Homme. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Homme did. He actually sang background vocals on AM in the song Knee Socks. But he also he produced their album in between that. I'm not sure what that album was in between AM and. Uh, I got that one. I, I know exactly the album you're talking about. The, the hit single was Brainwash or Brain Something. Yeah. And it was literally just this record yeah. again. That's what everyone I'm, said. I'm pretty sure. I'm that pretty they sure were like, Marty's oh, gonna... it's just whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not part two. Yeah. And what's cool about this band, and, and this is just my opinion, because I remember when this came out, I was always so obsessed with British rock. Uh, I always have been, and I still think it's the best. Um and I tried to get into this because everybody else was, and it won yeah. the Mercury Music Prize, which I respect that that award because a lot of great British bands have won it. And 
much like you, it was like, I don't know if I like it, but there's moments of it that I fucking love. Yeah. And then coming back to it now, now I'm like, oh, I fucking love this record. This is a fun one for me to go through, especially after what we've done recently with The Police and we did Jefferson Airplane. This was a really, really fun record. I think the Fleece Army is probably going to agree if they've never listened to it. I didn't even listen to AM. I've I've only listened to uh, Do You Want to Know because I yeah. played that at the strip club. Yeah, dude, and that I was mean, like, did you put that on at the strip club? That and the girls got But think about trying to play any Think about trying to play any of these at a strip club, and it's like that's a messed out fucking dance. So it's just like, but that's all that's left. That's only one. Because I mean, like. Yeah, there's like there's songs that I fucking really got into. There's songs that I didn't know I was going to like as much as I did, like When the Sun Goes Down. I didn't realize When the Sun Goes Down, I was going to like, that's a song that I'm just going to continue to listen to. Yeah. You know, put it on playlists and shit, because I was like, oh, I fucking really like that. Which is what's, that's what's great to go into these albums, is you're going to find those songs. Oh, for sure. Because obviously uh, it's, a, it's, obviously it's a, an acclaimed album and it's a great album. I was just saying from a personal standpoint, I thought I was going to come out of this like, just got a new top five favorite album of all time. And instead yeah. I walked away like, I want to listen to AM. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's the point. And I think it was between, I remember you, you would choose in between this and Smashing Pumpkins. And I, yeah. and, and then I was like, you pick one. Because either yeah. way, I think it would have been fun to have you on either one of these records. Because they're both kind of like foo-foo and they're both kind of like, you know, they're emotional in their way. But I, I figured you could have more fun as the as the white Mike Winslow with <laughs> yeah. making fun of the British accent. I mean, dude, this is a total, this entire energy of this album is wake up on a couch in jeans like the entire energy of this is just like like you're just (laughs) up and it's like oh we've got fucking weird sausages that we're cooking on a grill and you're just like you're drinking dark ale at eight in the morning it's absolutely what this is which I, i like but now that i don't drink anymore i don't think i can connect to it the way i would have been able to but what we're going to do today is we're going to connect with that old self of yours. No, oh, dude. we got a lot of questions about this. Me and Morty have whipped up some real fun shit. So, With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. So before we get into all that and dig into the record, Morty, why don't you catch us up? Because from what I know about this band, other than them being one of the biggest bands in British rock history, if I'm not mistaken, this is a, they were like fucking 12. Yep. So I know that's wrong, but hit me. So let's so I'll hit you. So released on January 20, uh, 23rd, 2006 on Domino Records and produced by Jim Abyss. This is the debut studio album by the British indie alternative post-punk and garage rock revival rock group. 
Alex Turner and Matt Helders were childhood friends, neighbors, and schoolmates in the South Yorkshire city of Sheffield in Northern England. They met Andy Nicholson in secondary school, and the three, like many of their contemporaries who were mostly enamored by rappers, would hang out and try to make hip-hop beats. That so you want, you Do you want to listen to some Eric B and Rakim? I no. got a lot of... I, I just don't know if he was listening to it, but the Wu-Tang Clan is back at it again. I'm protecting my neck, man. I'm oh, protecting yeah. my neck. I don't know if you know about this, but cream rules cream. Cash rules everything around me, and it's also delicious in certain teas. <laughs> it's it's got, got, delicious. <laughs> I can't listen to rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God save the queen. And <laughs> Inspector Deck. <laughs> well, that changed significantly, significantly after they heard The Strokes in 2001, and they soon formed an instrumental rock band with Alex on guitar, Matt on drums, and... Andy on bass and another neighbor, Jamie Cook, on second guitar. After no one stepped up to sing, they elected Alex as lead vocalist because of his verbal dexterity. The next year, Arctic Monkeys were born, and a year later, they were playing gigs. After recording and giving away demo CDs at shows that were copied and file shared, they started generating a buzz, but it was a MySpace fan page that really caught attention. And there without- it is. Yeah, and without much other I loved MySpace. And without much other promotion, they became one of the earliest successes in the internet era. Eventually, radio and press caught on to their regional popularity, and they put out their own short-run two-song EP and got signed to the small independent label Domino Records. This was recorded at one song a day in the order they would and did appear on the album. So they would go in. And literally each day, do he? Alex knew exactly how he wanted the album to go, and he recorded it in order. Damn, from top really to in one day. Each no, song no, no. One... Each day they would do a different song. But just so you know, if they look at the twelve track, they were like first day number one, and he knew he knew how this was going to go. Holy so, shit, uh, man! For both of their two pre, both of the two pre-album singles went straight to number one. And then to say that the record was a success in Europe is a ridiculous understatement. It's essentially a first-person narrative concept album about the lives of young Northern English working-class nightclubbers and the spunky and often manic energy of the band playing Turner songs and his decidedly Sheffield dialectal delivery of rapid-fire hip-hop-inspired witty and wry lyrics that range from stream-of-consciousness surrealism to the social realism of kitchen sink drama was highly effective. Because it became, and for now, remains the fastest selling debut album in British history. Damn, I really? I told you, dude. This yeah. was fucking That huge. is fucking impressive. That is impressive. And also, like Marty's explanation of it really helps me put, like, now that I've listened to the album so many times, it makes sense. You know when sometimes you don't get something and then someone's like, oh, well, it's just this. And you're like, yeah. oh, you shit, that was intentional? Way. Fuck, this album yeah. is, you know. Because it's in the top 500, so you're like, how is this album in the top? Oh, there it is. I think it's because it's, I think it's a big, and Morty, maybe I'm right or wrong, but I think it's because of two things. Uh, One, there, did you have more, by the way? I don't know, because you were like, well, all right, because they're like, they're 19 years old, right? Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I have that down there. Go, 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 go. And then we'll we'll comment, I'm sorry. So, by the way, not even, not just the biggest debut in England ever, it in America, it's the fastest selling. It's the second fastest selling independent debut album in history. Who do you know who the first is? Uh, Juice Newton. No, okay. The no, fuck I'm is kidding. Juice I Newton. No oh, I was like, <laughs> honestly, I was just gonna, no, I was just gonna keep rolling. Like 12, I was like, twelve, twelve police army people just literally went. I knew it. Yeah, playing with the Queen of Hearts. 
Dude, Juice Newton. I was like, dude, that sounds. I hope that guy's okay now. Just yeah, when you it said was that. like he was an old blues guy, Juice Box Newton. Yeah, was the original. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Alex, however, with this album, was uncomfortable with the rapid attention and began. Uh, I'm sorry, he was uh, uncomfortable with the rapid attention and being labeled the spokesperson of his generation. So instead of the band doing a lot of record promotion. They opted to quickly follow it up a few months later with a five song EP called Who the Fuck Are Arctic Monkeys, which is probably why after, you know, in like especially with radio markets that you're in, Dan, why they kind of, you know, they never really broke. The first single kind of popped and yeah. then it and then it seemed like they never really did the grind yeah. of it. They just went, fuck it. No, we're so huge. Uh, I, this is weird and freaking me out. You know what? In that's fact, a that's a yeah. That's a great point, Marty, because something that is interesting that I that I learned working in Tucson, which is like the 60 second market, is you would see these bands before the big push. You would see these bands try to lay down like, you know, because they want a tour. That's where the money is. So they would come to like we would have bands come and do free shows for us like Yellow Card or a band that was really oh, trying to get like through <laughs> and be like garbage. Yeah. But they would be like, Hey, sell, you know, we'll give away tickets and then your fans can come and we do a radio giveaway. So you're right. They never worked the circuit. Arctic monkeys right. never came through and did a show or would, you know, uh, even be in Phoenix, which would make sense. Yeah. And then but the show be- that I was going to go yeah. see in England was, I, I want to say it was, it was the cavern club or something. It was like this small rinky dink fucking thing and i mean it was sold out but i was just gonna go and buy tickets and sure. then I, at the bar i was at i just started blowing lines with these british guys well there so you, go. you all bump a charlie you know what's so funny is, is you just went and lived the album yeah like yes. people were like they invited you to see the album and you're like how about i do that better? i'm gonna do that next time someone's like hey do you want to go uh i'm going to this interactive experience with pink floyd's the wall and then just drop acid in front of them and go i'll beat you there <laughs> i was like i'm just gonna watch war movies and shoot heroin but man that's but that's that makes sense why they never popped either is because they never had that support in those fucking weird markets to be like here's the America, next one yeah. from the Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, it was it was uh and not only was Alex freaked out by this, but right after the EP came out, Andy Nicholson, you know, uh, who was the bass player, left due to him being overwhelmed by the fame and success and he was no shit. By Nick O'Malley. Yeah. So that's Nick O'Malley carried on pretty much from the second album, the actual album. Yeah. After the EP, it's carried on and has been with them has been with them Man. since. You know, you don't think about that when you are just like this British kid in fucking northern London and you're just like working and, you know, it's kind of like with comedy, you're just writing jokes, writing jokes. right? And then all of a sudden one day they're like, hey, there's a chance to do Conan. And you're like, what's up? And they're like, yeah, they're doing a showcase. And you're like, oh, fuck. So I can't imagine just, you know, working, 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 working. And then you're the fucking fastest selling debut in UK history. I mean, that's got it. That's got to be a whip. Yeah. Yeah. You Before your album's one? even out, your first two singles are number one. It's too much so pressure, man. Like that's out of crazy. That's, yeah, that's a, a, a and, like, and surprisingly, none of them have had like weird fucking going off the rails. Like, I mean, they party probably, but they've had like very like contained lifestyles. Yeah. It's like all you know them for is just putting out pretty good music. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's at, at what nineteen years old. Yeah, Morty? And around, yeah, to round it down. So basically. The critics and fans were absolutely right about Alex, though, as the spokesperson. Amongst their ton of recognition, they won Best New Band, 
and Best British Band at the NME and the Brit Awards. And this album also won Best Album at both of those, as well as that year's Mercury Prize and Ivor Novello Award. And even Time Magazine in America called it the Album of the Year. Damn. Yeah, no pressure. By the way, when this was made, Alex was 19, and the oldest guy in the band was 20. Oh, Oh yeah. So along with constant touring and various band side projects and excursions. They've since put out five more studio albums, one that Dan likes more than any of the others. Yeah, I, I will go to yeah. the mat for those. Yeah. yeah, and then they became, uh, they're the first independent label band to have their first six albums go straight to number one in the UK. Damn. All six of their albums. So they these are like guys that play the O2 arena no problem. Yeah, they're yeah, they're easy huge. in England. Glastonbury, they're, yeah, they're like headliners. Yeah, they're headliners. They're they're the biggest band in England, but, even if they're still putting out stuff. What whatever. are they doing here? Are they doing theaters, small arenas? I I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't know when the last. I mean, it's hard with COVID. I yeah. don't know when the last shows they were playing, but they were playing. I mean, because I don't think they broke the same here. Yeah, because they especially from the from the beginning, they've had like which is good. It's like the Smiths to me. They're a grower band. By yeah. the time most people get into them, they've got six albums. Yeah, that's a fun thing to do where you find a band you like and then you get to go back and be like, kind of watch how they grow and change. Yeah, you that was always my favorite. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always a, a fun thing to find in anything in a band or a comic or a fucking actor, you know? I th- I'm pretty sure that they came to LA and played the Staples Center. Yeah, it um, seems okay. like the kind of a venue. That's that, they, that's a good size. Let's let's dive into the record because this it's fun, dude. I mean, regardless if it's if it's not all of our bags, it's a fun record for a fucking 19 year old to write. It's incredible. Right? It's incredible so, knowing that they're 19 and also just kind of like, oh, fuck, I don't know. I kind of felt like doing an album. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. yeah, you guys made, holy shit, you made a great, yeah. Should we use this new promo tool called What's, MySpace? I mean, sure. I mean, me brother's little sister was on MySpace saying we should dink around and put one of them tunes up there. Oh, hey, my Alex, God, we changed our lives. <laughs> Alex, why are I in your top eight? I'm the bass player, for Christ's sake. It's just so funny to think that they put it up and they go, oh, no, our lives are different now. <laughs> this is the second it uploads. We's all yeah. famous and such. Oh, no. What's what I going to do with me mother? Oh, I'm going to take her out of the home and put her in my own tall bus with us. I wonder if that, like, I wonder if that stopped them, that, that like, being propelled like that to do six albums and stay consistent is a near impossibility. Because you were, you know, without drugs yeah. or alcohol, just completely in fame and money, they went, fuck, it, man. If I threw all that... And judging by what this record is about, you would think that they're like hard partying guys. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would, the whole record's if this about album, getting fucked up. If this album did okay, I'd be like, hey, you guys want to talk? I think you guys are partying a little much. <laughs> yeah, chill out, dude. Yeah, you guys you're 19 fucking... years old, man. You don't want to burn it out Come too on, quick, bro. man. Burn it out of both candles. You're not going to go, you're not going to make two albums at this pace. And then he's like, fuck you. I'm going <laughs> to do you. six of them. <laughs> Just wait till Facebook comes out. Oh, you don't even know. There's a thing coming called uh, Instagram, and I'm going to show me bum on it. (laughs) Maybe sell a fit tea, you know, a little tummy tuck kind of tea. (gasps) Do you want to grow nicer hair? Have these gummies, (laughs) these hair gummies. Call for hems. All right. 
So it opens with the view from the afternoon. This is a record uh, with a lot of similar subject matter like we've been talking about running through it. And this captures the excitement before a night out. So Alex explained, this is one of the last songs written for the album. There's nothing clever. It's just about anticipating the evening, finding comfort and familiarity, and the fact that you know you're bound to send a daft message or something before the sun comes up. What I found uh, very, very difficult about these songs is how hard it is to understand British people because I have been singing the wrong lyrics since 2006. So, uh, New JT, play 15 seconds in. entertain the Pope. Okay. But what he's saying is for disappointment in evening entertainment, but I mean, I have been, I mean, in the car, like, Whoa. even entertain the Pope. <laughs> like a fucking douche. Yeah, it's like a Guy Ritchie movie. Yes. yes. But, except you can't put captions on. No. So I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. I think this is a great way to start the record. Out of all the songs on it, just the way this kicks in, it's super fun. You know, this got me interested in 2006 when this came out. Um, Going into it right now, you see how much more of um, an entire thing it is, you know, because I think I was kind of coming into this thinking it was pieces because the song that I loved on the album that I knew of in 2006 was Fake Tales of San Francisco. And I didn't really like I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor because I was like, that's too party-ish, too pop-ish. But Fake Tales of San Francisco, I just loved all of it. And I could kind of understand the lyrics. So then now when you're reading that, I'm like, I don't think I know the lyrics to Fake Tales of San Francisco. I think I only know San Francisco. This is this is a record that you need to li- you need to read the lyrics while you're listening to it because you're singing everything wrong. Dude, I've listened to this record, not even just this go round, but in all probably 50, 60 times. And I was blown. I was like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. I am way off. <laughs> it, it also has this great part right here. New JT. Can you play 244? And she won't be surprised. And she won't be shocked. This is like, when you consider that this is a 19-year-old writing this and putting this together, I mean, this is a very mature, even lyrically, it's just, this is mature for them. This is British mature. These are like when you hear their six-year-olds talk and you're like, why do you have the soul of a 40-year-old? So, of course, at 19, (laughs) they can write it like old sailors. They're like, look at, they like have reflective lyrics about going out and doing blow and partying. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you, what was a normal, solid night out for you at 21 years old? Oh, man, I was um, I started comedy at 21. So it was like, you know, I would try to do open mics on the Wednesday and then I would try to go Thursday, Friday or Saturday to watch the headliner that was in Tucson. But I just liked uh, I knew I had a problem. I think I knew I had a problem at like 
16 with drinking just because of how I liked to take in booze. It was never like, let's booze and then we're going to go dance and party. It was like, we're going to go booze then we're going to go to the next place and booze and then we'll yeah. go to a final place and booze and then we'll wake up somewhere. So I don't yeah. kind of know what's going to happen. But my favorite thing was like, by the time 21 hit, I was already comfortable drinking. So I just loved going to bars where I could smoke inside and listening to music. And so that's why this album would have completely been different if I would have listened to it when I was still in Tucson, just going to like yeah. the golden nugget and just getting fucking shit faced and putting like, <laughs> you know, half this album on the jukebox and just being like, I just want to sit here and get fucked up. Did, just, did you not know how to drink? Like, cause I'm the kind of guy that was like, I even right from an early age, it was like, I drank too much. So eventually I'd black out. And that was why I needed to do Coke or why I did Coke, because at least I could keep drinking throughout the night. Yeah. Blacking out didn't really uh, hit me until near the end of my career. I was just kind of like a guy where I, things would get foggy, but I wouldn't really black out, but I could just go. I could just yeah. fucking drink because I'd watched it my whole life. And so I was like, oh, uh, you know, I took to it like yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. I was like, I'm just gonna have the smoothest swing and all the drinking. Yeah. I was just fucking pounding them down. But it was what I liked about it was like, I liked the smoking and the drinking and music and talking to people. I didn't like going to loud places and like Fergie playing, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I went to Arizona where you could go to those kind of things, but I liked being in Tucson and being at the comedy club or being at a, you know, a local bar yeah yeah uh more do you got anything to add yeah so remember we were talking about the demos they would give out at their shows and then you know how it got on file sharing and everything this is one of the notable exceptions that wasn't re-recorded from the 18 demo songs that they gave out at those shows in 2004 that were collected and then file shared by the fans under the unofficial title beneath the boardwalk but eight songs on here come from that Damn. So like, so remember they had a they had like all these fans, you know, cutting edge internet kids yeah. who knew over half this record from the demos prior to the record ever being recorded, and in a lot of regional markets, like we went out with the Verve Pipe before yeah. their album came out, and like everybody in all of Michigan knew the Freshman. See, but that's got to be recorded, right? That's got to be so cool. The the one time I saw that was uh, Josh Homme did Desert Sessions. And on mm -hmm. one of the Desert Sessions, he does a demo of Make It With You. And then they put that on the 2008 or 2007 album, Era Vulgaris. And so it was like when I was listening through the first time and then Make It With You came on, I was like, oh, shit. That, was, right. You're like, oh, fuck. I, this, they put that on this? And it was so exciting. Yeah. So I can't imagine how exciting it was for Arctic Monkeys fans to kind of know the demos. And then the big album comes out and you're like, Eight of these songs are already my favorite songs. That was me with Audio Slaves' first record because oh, like I when, got it. I got it off of like Napster and LimeWire. Well, LimeWire by that point, and I remember it was like I had it on the cassette. And then when they finally dropped the record, I was just every song I was like, "Go and save yourself." Yeah, he's like, I had Cochise before they even filmed the video. Yeah, but that, that's always that's that's part of the file sharing thing that is a positive is you get to connect with especially in music connecting with the songs before you see them because i saw the super group of dave grohl john paul jones and josh homie and them crooked vultures and i bought tickets to them at the electric factory name alone Nay, I mean, you know, obviously i'm a massive josh homie fan so i was like this is going to be great i love dave grohl and it's fucking 
the basis of one of the greatest bands of all time <laughs> yeah. who also did their arranging. So I was like, yeah. this is going to be incredible. But I went to the Electric Factory and didn't know any of the songs. So it was still fun, but it would have been, had I had like New Fang or Warsaw or like one of the songs that they put Dead on the album. Dead End Friends was my, that Dead End Friends used to be my ringtone. Really? Yeah, bro. Dead End oh, Friends oh. was great. There's actually a rumor a month ago they might do another album. Ooh. Like, wait, shout out to Alan Johannes, the yes. guitar player in that band. And Alan Johannes, dude, yeah. he's fucking incredible. And he wrote, played with Chris Cornell forever and produced him with his, with his, uh, um, sadly, Natasha, who they were friends, but yeah. he passed away. But yeah, produced a Chris Cornell record also. Yeah, uh, Alan Johannes did, um, he wrote one of the songs on Lullabies to Paralyze. I think he wrote like um, Long Slow Goodbye. I just remember yeah, that. Getting ready for this, getting talented. ready for this podcast, Dan, because I know how much of a big uh, Queens of the Stone Age fan you are. That's I've been really do on a real fucking Quatza kick, bro. Yeah. I am I am really pumping it. Working out in the driveway. Little sister, get yeah, you dude, I'm I mean, into the, it. That's a band where it, you know, that's how I got into the Arctic Monkeys again was because of their close affiliation. Because I think they recorded AM at Rancho de la Luna in California. So that was like, because they, when they had Josh Homme produce it, I was like, oh shit, it's, it's kind of like when, you know, like rappers do albums where you're like, you into Method Man and then you learn about Red Man and then you get into like, yeah, you just keep going down that where you're like, you find all the stuff they do. And I always like that in music where you just kind of branch out and be like, oh, fuck yeah, I learned about this band through this guy. It's the same thing with comics, man. Yeah. It's like the the good comics like flock together. And so it's like usually it's like you or even like a younger comic that's opening for a bigger comic is usually a friend or somebody they yeah, fuck sure. with and they bring him and then you're like, oh, shit, I like this guy now. So it's it's all vouching. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, not even realizing that I, I didn't even realize the Arctic Monkeys were that big at all. Like yeah, until dude. Marty said that, I was just like, yeah, no, they were like probably, oh, they were popular in the UK. I'm sure they were. And then you're like, oh, fuck. They were like, they, they were, were the big shit. That's I mean, fucking all the major wild. awards, dude. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. All right, well, there's one of the, here's one of the songs that made them that, which is the second track, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Uh, More lyrics I don't understand. Go.
I thought it was banging tunes and DJ sex, but no. And this is one I should have figured out. Just banging tunes and DJ sets. Oh, oh. It was Montague and Capulets, right? I yeah, what about okay. Actually, he was saying... Uh, That's great. Uh, <laughs> I was like... Motorhead and... Uh, he goes, and, actually, uh, it's not Montague. It's Mo-to-goo. <laughs> I was like, fuck you. Fuck Motorhead you. And, and shit pile sharing. All right. This energetic first single was also their first number one. It continues the record's main theme of being a young nightclub kid going dancing, drinking, chatting up girlies, and trying to get shagged. Uh, There's also parallels between this album and the 77 movie Saturday Night Fever, both center around young working class men who live for going dancing and trying to get laid. So the movie even has the similar line, are you as good in bed as you are on the dance floor? Which, by the way, is delivered by Fran Drescher in the movie. Is it really? Yeah, I remember that. She's like, are you as good as you went on the dance floor? Yeah. (laughs) He has the best comeback line. He goes dancing with her. She goes, so, like, basically, do you fuck as, like, are you as good as you are? And he goes, if you're as good on the dance floor as you are in bed, then you suck in bed, basically, is what he said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he did it in a real Travolta way of being like, (laughs) Uh, if you fuck like you fuck like you dance, oh, wow. Okay, I'm out of here. Your voice you know about re- Zeno? Oh, your voice really gives me a soft wiener. Did you have any pickup lines, Dan? No. Come I mean, on. that's like such like a 70s and like 80s. Like, I, I, don't, I've, I don't think I've ever used a line to try to get laid. A, a pickup line to me would feel so insincere if you're just like, so, do they rain... Gold turds where you're from. I'm sorry. Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> I think buy a drink was the only one. That's the only pickup line I ever had. Being like, hey, can what's I buy the, you a drink? What's the lamest shit you ever did to try to get laid? <sighs> Fuck, I don't know. Comedy? Comedy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, stand up. Fuck it. I think I took an improv class once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to a day, uh, one of the corniest I've ever felt trying to get laid was I went to a, like a Dave Matthews band concert with my friend and a girl. And we were like, like 20, 21 or whatever. And then at one point I did the wrap, the arms around the hips. And I just looked over and my friend was holding his beer in his mouth about to take a sip, like in shock. And he was like, no. And I was like, I'm so sorry. It just felt the corniest thing. Just. Like swaying with your hips. Satellite. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be us forever. What would you say? <laughs> What's the corniest thing you've ever did? Oh, fuck, man. You were a club kid, I, so God only knows. Yeah, did you make I someone mean, their own candy necklace? Bro, I've, <laughs> I mean, I've like, I put stickers on my face, worn angel wings. Oh, yeah, dude. Anytime. You can't talk shit if you're a club kid because you've definitely <laughs> done a handful of glitter over your face <laughs> and the, like on your pubes to get ready. You're like, I'm going to fuck. Hit I me. think that, I think though, I think really, I think about this one a lot because I, I met this girl. Uh, she went to like one of the rich schools uh, in, in, uh, in like North Potomac, which is like where a lot of the senators and everybody live. And I ran into her at, uh, I ran into her at an Outback Steakhouse and I'm like 20 and she's probably like 18 and we're both have a fake ID. And I, the whole time I was talking to her, I did like a fake Louisiana accent. What? I was just like, I was like, it was from new Orleans. Cause I wanted, 
Wait, did you? So now, did, like, yeah, let me ask you a question. Did you. you do the? Did you do the? the <laughs> did you do the Creole accent? Thinking it was going to work to get you like, wasn't like hey, two face old balls. I don't know why you didn't. That's the only way to what? What New Orleans accent did you do? Because I'm like, expecting you going full gumbo. You know, just like <laughs> dying on with the wing. You want me to get a gator out the milk? It was it was kind of like that. It was like, well, you know, I I was uh, you know I, I got a I got a bar mitzvah for the DJ this weekend, but uh, and was she into it? Meet up. Oh yeah, dude. But there was a thing is that she was into wow, me. My, dude, so I should have done I should have gone full foghorn leghorn on a girl before. <laughs> well, my oh my, if it isn't just the nicest dandy I've done ever seen. Can I buy you oh. a libation to cool you off on this <laughs> How about hot a nice summer mint, night? Nice mint julep and then we She go, Oh my god, <laughs> where are you from? Here? Oh, that's a funny story, uh, Aurora, Colorado. <laughs> But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, I'm from right down the street from here. I'm oh, from Germantown, well, my father right had a Washington, D.C. You ever <laughs> seen a mint julep at the right time of day with the sweat on the outside of the glass? Anyways, uh, can I buy you a drink? <laughs> yeah. We did. Damn. You knew. Did you think you were just going to have to ride out that voice the entire time? Yep. I don't know. I was, you know, he had a couple beers in you. She was so hot. So I didn't think she was going to be into me. Little did I know she was all about me. And then I remember like I, I called her to set up the date. Oh, did, did you then, have to practice your was, voice first? No, I was honest with her. I was like, by the way, that wasn't, you know, she's like, what happened to your accent? And oh my like, God. Oh like, my God. You know, oh my I, God. I, I, it was so embarrassing. What did you say? What did you say when I, she said I, I don't remember verbatim how it went, but basically she was like, yeah, I just, why would you lie to me? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know how uh, psychotic that is? If someone's yeah. just like one day, they're like, well, bruv, I don't know if I'll be going there. The next day they show up and they go, so were you thinking you want burgers or tacos? And you're like, what tacos. the fuck? Yeah. I mean, dude, what I worked, when I worked at uh, Dos Caminos, uh, there was this hostess that this girl did a British accent, right? She would like be like, oh, thank you. Oh, no, it's all right. Your table just got sat. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. And then a girl from East London started working there, my friend Rose. And she was just like, yeah, that girl's not even from London. <laughs> she like went up to her and she's like, are you from London? And the girl's like, no, no, no. I, I dated a guy and he's from London. And so I, and she was like, all right, yeah. It's like, <laughs> OK, dude, getting called I, out like that by someone that has an accent has to be mortifying. Don't you ever do that? Like, don't you? Sometimes I do that when I go to like a store or something, and I know I'm never going to see these people, and one I just time, do an accent. One time I did that. One time, and I committed, Daniel Day Lewis style. I, <laughs> for my 21st birthday, I cut my eye open. I, I like, I fell and I had 14 stitches above my eye, but I had road rash all down the side of my face because I fucking came down a flight of stairs and <laughs> hit my head and dragged a little bit on the landing. And we went to this beer festival in Fort Collins, me and my buddy Joey. And I just, there was just like three people from the mountains. And I was just doing a Russian accent the whole time saying I was a Russian MMA fighter. Cause it was like 2000 and I think it was like 2004. So MMA wasn't even huge. Yeah. So you could lie a lot about it. It's like, uh, this happened and the man hit me in my face. They said, doctors say they will heal. And then I was just getting drunker and drunker. And finally, at the end, they were walking away. I was like, I'm from, I'm from Aurora. <laughs> they were like, what? 
<laughs> what? <laughs> Do you remember before the fucking internet, before cell phones, you could just lie. And lie? Get away. We used to, oh, we you used could to do leave this. your this... family, Joshua. You could just we... leave your family. We used to do no this at sporting events. When we were at places where there's a lot of people, me and my friend Greg would go into urinals. Like, I'd go to one urinal, he'd go to another one very close to each other. And we act like we didn't know each other. And there'd always be people around. <laughs> and I'd go, God, I can't believe about Harrison Ford. And, they'd be, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, man, I can't believe that either. And then somebody would go, wait, what's going on? And be like, he died, man. Harrison Ford died. What? He was in a plane crash on his way to Indiana Jones Part 4. And they'd be like, what? And then you just hear people start talking about oh, it. Dude. And then it would like what spread. A, what a great <laughs> pre-internet prank. Damn, that's just mean. Yeah, dude. It is, but you know. Dude, there's someone fucking... that got all the way home and like was like told their wife, Eddie Murphy passed away. She's like, shut up. No, he didn't. I remember. Some kid, some guy said to us one time, he was like, he's like, God, I can't believe he's like fucking Harrison Ford. He's like, dude, I had a six days, seven nights poster on my wall for years. And I was like that out of all That's the, the movies. One? I'm an Anne Hache guy. You know, I'm a real big Anne Hache guy. I like when those two team up. I think it's fucking lightning in a bottle. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to fake tales of San Francisco. Uh, this is my favorite part on the record up until this point. Uh, new JT. Go ahead. I mean, this is a great song. It's just fucking incredible. This is one of the first songs they recorded uh, off those early demos. Alex is calling out a band that brags and lies. That's so funny. We were just talking about lying. About having gone to America. Wow. Great. I I I fucking love this song. This is one of the ones that you played uh, at... Uh, KTP7 What Dude, is it KFMA, called? KFMA First off Number one Tucson's new rock KFMA Shout out to KFMA Day Largest yeah. outdoor concert In the southwest With such bands As Foo Fighters And Metallica So just fucking Slow your roll Number two Love this song Because I, I You You can't really Understand the lyrics But then you do Get some of them And I just love the part Where he's like You're not from San Francisco You've never been To San Francisco You've been You know You're not from New York City And what's crazy About that is and Josh, you know I'm a huge San Francisco 49ers fan. Love the Very. San Francisco Giants. My dad is from the Bay Area. My grandmother still lives out in Northern California. And my whole dad's family is from San Francisco. I never lived there. And so I love this song is that I grew up in Denver loving the 49ers. And I, my dad's half-brother lived in Colorado and took me to Bronco games, and I never defected. And I just remember one time he just went, You've never even lived there. And I was like, ow. Oh, dude. But that's kind of how this song feels, you know? He's like, yeah. you're not even fucking from New York City. You're from Rotherham. Rotherham. Rotham. Ro- yeah. Rotham. You're from <laughs> Rotham. Yeah, that makes sense. You're from Rotham. But I felt What's- like that where I was like, I'm not from San Francisco, but I still love a lot about it. What's the most ridiculous lie you've ever told? Oh, shit, man. <laughs> Um, I remember me and my, this is so stupid. Me and my friends, when we were uh, 15, 16 years old, my friend's cousin was getting married in Mexico. So his whole family rented this like house and they were like, do you want to come with us down to Mexico? We were all 16 years old. And so we could drink down in Mexico. 
So yeah. we, we, we go down to Mexico and it's just like six, 16 year old boys just at a bar drinking and we're not, we were in Cancun, we'd go to Cancun, but then there was this town outside of Cancun that was, you know, just straight up Mexico. And they're like, who the fuck are these güeros just walking around, these gringos getting fucking hammered. <laughs> and so I could tell that there was a little bit of heat at the bar. This <laughs> is so fucking stupid. And the fact that I said this is crazy. But I just, there was like three guys at the bar drinking and one of them spoke English and I was buying drinks and he was hammered and he's like, what's your, what's up? Who are you? You know, like, where are you guys from or whatever? And I was just fucking hammered at 16 and I was like, we're the junior Olympic kickboxing team. <laughs> I was like, we're all, we're all kickboxers. And we're the junior Olympic kickboxing team. And I didn't tell all of my friends that I said this lie. So this little Mexican dude walks up to my friend Joel and he's just going like, hey, yeah, yeah. Like, he goes, that's you. Like point. And Joel's like, yeah, yeah. Like doing kicks and punches with him. Really not knowing here. what the fuck he's talking about. What a dumb lie. But as 100% true and i got five guys that'll back me that i fucking <laughs> did that and by the way didn't do it just one night did it anytime we were at a local bar and i thought shit was sketchy <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like uh-oh time to best of the best these motherfuckers <laughs> dude don't don't make me put fucking glue on my hands and put and fuck glass on the gloves dude, you don't even I'll want do that i will wear the gloves where the hands are open and then covered on the back i will go full <laughs> yeah dude it was uh it worked though so you know Good for you. Dude, dude I can't I mean, believe dude, I haven't thought of that. Old, man. Dude, I haven't thought of that in 15 years. I swear to God, I haven't thought of that fucking dumb lie in 15 years. Dude, we're get we're gonna go deeper into the into the youthful stuff, dude. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Morty, you got anything yeah. else about this the song? The reason you probably know this one more than any, it was a radio it was a radio only single in America. Oh. And it got yeah. played on modern rock radio, although it failed the chart, but it got really popular because when you mention a hip city, yeah. American fans get, you know, really into it. I'm yeah, sure we're that was yeah, that, well, that was the big sell point is they like rah, rah, rah. And so when they yeah. came to America, the fact that they mentioned San Francisco already, despite it being what it's about, you know, they were really excited. Oh, absolutely. And I bet, you know, I mean, that is, yeah, because that was the single we played. And it was uh, that and I bet you look good on the dance floor. And that's really all we heard of them. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't play fucking uh, When the Sun Goes Down, I know. which we'll get to, because that's that's such a good song, Ooh, man. That's and a it's, great song. And we talk, Morty, I know we've talked about different yeah. bands and about the modal sections. Like, that one feels like it was written in parts, uh, but we'll get to that, because yeah. next one's Dancing Shoes. Uh, another great song. Uh, let's move on to uh, You Probably Couldn't See For The Lights, But You Were Staring Straight At Me. Uh, so, so I just want to skip the song, uh, because it's okay. It's kind of filler for me, but 
This is Alex going all fanboy about the singer in the band, The Little Flames, who he liked. While he was on stage making eye contact with him in the crowd, he realized that she was blinded by the stage lights and had no idea the effect it had on him and countless other wannabe suitors. So I just wanted to ask you this. That's why I brought up this song. Who was your first famous crush? Shit. Uh, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> really? Yeah, as a wrestling fan. She was the oh, first was, lady where I was she like... She was so cute. Yeah, but no, I would... Um, maybe Kelly Kapowski? There was like... Yeah. You know, I'm talking uh. about real little, where I was like, oh, yeah, that that's the prettiest girl. But I didn't... I You know, I, there's all these people that have cool stories about falling in love with, like, front women or, like, cool rock and roll chicks. But in my house, it was all single mom rock. So it was all, like, Bonnie Raitt. And like, you know, stuff where it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't getting like Melissa Etheridge. Yeah, like, exactly. God, it was all like, dude, fuck my ex-husband <laughs> energy. And so yeah. it w- I wasn't getting a lot of like party stuff, but yeah, I would probably say my earliest crush actually was my, my earliest crush. I think was my, my, my parents, friend's wife. And you know, when you're like five years old and you just act weird and they're just like, why is yeah. he being all weird around you? And you're like, cause when that lady comes over, I get real fucking I don't know. It feels like all my stuff in me burns. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know. Who's your first we, crush? Well, we, I dropped Silly Putty on the floor and it's stuck to the ground. And I think that, my dog's going to eat it. That I would almost say, up. please put the camera on that. <laughs> I, 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 I hope that was a euphemism. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have Silly Putty because I don't like vape as much and I just squeeze it. But it's like I've been working it so much. It's not even like a putty anymore. It's more of like a sludge. <laughs> and then it's like it's on the ground, like Silly smeared, smart. like Spiral. like sticky diarrhea. Yeah. Uh, my first, so if you're talking about my mom's friends, I'd say uh, Eileen Miles. Shout out, uh, Eileen. She was, she was so cute. Uh, she was hot, and uh, she was dating this guy, Dan. Yeah. 100% was, like, just fucking using her for the place to live. Because oh. he used to, like, he used to, like, you know, do BMX jumps with us. He was just, he was drunk all the time, smoking weed. We're fucking, like, 10, 11, 12, and we thought Dan was the coolest guy in the world. Sounds but like he, it. Sounds like he it. Was, but he was dogging her out, man, probably cheating on her, oh. fucking just... It's like probably beating her. Who knows? He was just a bad dude. Uh, but my first real, real crush that I really remember was Punky Brewster. Yeah. Fucking soil, soil Moon Fry. And, but like right around when I started like getting boners was the time that she was on Wonder Years and she yeah. had those huge titties. Yeah. Huge Yeah, did titties. you watch Kid 90 on Hulu? I, I you did. You really no. should. It's fantastic. Really, really? Yeah. I mean, just from that sentence alone, you yeah, would exactly. love it. Uh, Morty, who was your first crush? Because you're you're like ten years I just older than me. Him. I just marry your guys' crushes. Yeah. No, I, uh, <laughs> I um, no, I you know I I I ended up liking. I'm I'm older than you guys. I ended up liking women that tended to become lesbians All later right. in life. For some reason, I was attracted to that Tom. Because you know, when you're young, you're attracted to just like soft boys. Sure. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. You like like a you like like a chick. But she's got to be just like a dude to you. So it was Jodie Foster from like Candle Shoe when yeah. I was little, little. Okay. Then it was Christy McNichol. And then uh, Joan Jett. 
I just picked him. Like I look back now and I go, "There's a trend." He's like Marsha Warfield. Yeah, well, there's like a trend. Yeah. I was going. He's like, Rosie O'Donnell, big Rosie yeah. O'Donnell guy. Ma, just leave me in West Hollywood and I'll get home. Yeah, you know, just, that's yeah. So... No, so it was really weird that I would I would look back on like all of them and I was like trying to find. I think maybe Olivia Newton-John was the first feminine, like okay. around Greece was the okay. first feminine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but everybody else of, from that, I just go, you know, wow, dude, I had a, I'd catch I had a, a thing. I'd catch yeah. a roller derby on a Saturday yeah. morning and just <laughs> beat it till I was drained. He's like, God, I'm just, I'm attracted to Ellen Page. Yeah. Uh, fucking, Elliot now. Fucking Cher's daughter. He's like, I like a lady, <laughs> just, I like a lady with some grease on her hands. Yeah. All right, still take you home. Uh, track six. I know it's shocking, but Alex is once again in the club, and this time trying to get with another girl who, despite him knowing, is not all that would make the perfect miss right now. Then the kicker is they hook up, and he sees her a year later, and despite him having talked shit about her, he's offended that she doesn't remember him. Uh, this part might be my favorite moment on the entire record. Uh, new JT, play it. Oh, you don't know nothing. I fancy you with a passion. I give a touch up princess, a rock star too. But you're a fan, you're a passion. And I'm having a job trying to talk to you, but it's all right. Yeah, I'll put it on one side. Oh, because everybody's looking. You've got control of everyone's eyes, including mine. Man, imagine the sets of teeth this guy's kissed. <laughs> have have you ever have you ever got forgotten somebody that you've hooked up with? Have I forgotten them? Yeah, or have they forgotten you? I've been either way. I've been forgotten, which does hurt. Tell me about that. You're like, oh <laughs> well, you know, fuck you. It didn't even happen. It was uh, I think it was like college, just blackout with one of a friends, you know, like a girlfriend, yeah. and then you're like, what? No, all right. Because you bring it up like months later in like a big emotional scene, and you're like, "What?" You're like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "I don't really even remember that." And you're like, "Oh fuck you!" <laughs> I didn't either. I definitely didn't put it to music in my head. I definitely didn't score it with an oh fuck you with a burn CD. <laughs> fuck you. I didn't make you a playlist now. I didn't <laughs> look back to it with fond greatness. Uh, have you? Have you ever like been uh, uh, like accosted by someone? Yes. Yes. Well, you're a rave um, kid, so I mean, there's so, if you don't have the blinking lights and the fucking steam machines. This is this is one of those stories that it's it still it still blows my mind. So I never liked crystal meth, but oh, I did cool. it. Oh, This is that's always it, a way to start a sentence. <laughs> but no, but I did it six times, uh, and one time I just remember I was at. This isn't even I forgot. I'm just. This is just gonna. This is just funny about forgetting how I ended up like this. There was this blonde chick at Sonar that used to follow around me and my buddy Evan, and she was kind of annoying. And I could tell she liked me, but I was just like, eh, I'm not really into her. And I remember that I couldn't find any Coke. So Evan, um, as Evan's friend gave me uh, a little bit of meth. I went to the bathroom. I did a bump of meth. Jesus. And then I walked out, and I, and I just don't remember anything until I wake up in my bedroom. And I'm on my knees on the bed and there's a head in between my legs and it's the blonde chick. And I'm not going to say what we were doing, but you can imagine. She munching butt? Like, no, like, like skull fucking. Oh, Somebody's wow. What a meth I mean, approach. I, what a meth approach came, to oral sex. And I came to like, huh? 
Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> but she was really into it. And then she and was like, she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> what's going on? What's wrong? What's going on, Josh? <laughs> you good? We're all right. Okay, can I keep going? You go, yeah, I don't know how I got in this position. Hold on. I didn't mean to bulldog you like this. Oh, man. That is waking up out of a drug thing like that. It has to be terrifying. Oh, like, it was the scariest huh? thing. And then I had to go to I had to go to college. I had to go to Cal State University and I had to finish a paper Ugh. that was due like later that day. And and luckily the meth was in you, so I was just like just writing just a bunch of run on sentences. Oh, and then your professor was like, Josh, <laughs> your argument was very eloquent, but I did not ask you to write about why picking scabs is a good thing. <laughs> How to take apart a Super Nintendo and put it back together. When I was in high school, my friend did uh, crystal meth, and then I swear to God, he wrote an AP geography paper. (laughs) He was just like our smartest friend who also did all the drugs. Some people could do that. Yeah. I, I used to date a girl that could that would did a lot of coke because she she could get her homework done in college that way. Damn. I, I I'm not a speed guy. No. I I did like when I drank, but that was only when I drank. But then as I've gotten older, I'm like, nah. Yeah, you're like, I, no thanks, no thanks to also, that. Also, I don't have papers to write anymore. Yeah, having papers was a real good way way to do speed. Yeah, it made you feel better. For sure. All right, uh, Riot Van, this is like the first ballad on the record. Let's get to uh, Red Light Indicates Doors Are Secured. Uh, another lyric I got wrong, uh, new P- a new JT, or a new Peter, because you're both of them today. Play uh, 35 seconds in, dude. Didn't you see she was gorgeous? She was beyond belief. But this lad at the side drinking this man of ice came and paid for a tropical reef. And I'm sitting going backwards, and I didn't. I thought it was. I thought he was saying uh, drinking, uh, or really, I don't know, drinking. But I thought it was Ishmael and wine. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> she's drinking his Smirnoff Ice. Weird. Which also, like, which weird also product like, placement for an album. Yeah, but it also is like it, this really dates the record. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? With dropping like, because we're having a couple of Zimas. <laughs> we're drinking some bottles of James. Enjoying some butt ice. Everyone knows, yeah, you Smirnoff Ice appearing in this album, I had zero clue. Zero clue that it was a lyric. All right, so this is another uh, night out of the town drinking with the lads being recounted in the taxi on the way home and after a thought about ditching it without paying, realizing that can't happen because the title means the doors are locked. Yeah. Um, So I want to ask you, like, what's the craziest night out you've ever had partying? Ooh, um... I don't know. A lot of them, I, I think, because of weed, I've forgotten. But I just always knew it was going to be a real problem when I would finish. Joe DeRosa introduced like a bunch of comics to this bar called Barcelona Bar on Eighth Bar on Eighth Avenue. It's literally just a bar in a room. It's not. There's like that's it. There's bathrooms in the back, and it's a bar that's the size of the room on Eighth Avenue. And comics with me, Nate Bargetzi, Joe List, DeRosa, everyone, Al Jackson, everyone kind of knew to go there to drink. And we got in real tight with the staff. And then there was just, you know, there'd be nights where you would finish at like Broadway Comedy Club, walk up there at 1 a.m. And they'd be like, hey, we're open for another hour. Then we're going to lock the door and everyone can stay inside. And those were the nights mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be up till six or seven in the morning and, you know, mm-hmm. go home. Pretty probably banged up. And most of the times I'd just black. I, I, there was one time I remember going home at 830 in the morning. And as I was waiting for the train, I saw people getting off the train going to work. And I was like, oh, I feel like feeling. shit right now. 
Yeah. The only drugs I ever did, I never did like Coke or uppers. I only smoked weed and did mushrooms and drank. So when I'd be hammered, I would just be like, I wouldn't, when you're, I think when you're on uppers, you're able to straighten your back, even though your jaw is just fucking mowing. It's you just, but you're standing up when you're drunk and high and it's like 830. You're just like this fucking, you're a roly poly. You're just like, yeah, you're a mush mush. Yeah. And I was, and I just got on the train and I was just like, Oh no. Oh no. That's the shit thing about living in New York, especially if you don't have a car. Is just like, if you're, if you're in that like walk of shame, like I couldn't imagine being a girl and like fucking somebody in, in Manhattan and then having to go out to Queens, like Dittmar station. Oh dude. (laughs) The craziest thing about that is drinking. It's the, it's the, the near misses that result in, Something like one time we were out partying and I got on the four train down like near Wall Street and fell asleep and woke up in the Bronx because I was hammered and I just woke up and I was like, oh, whoa, overshot my mark. <laughs> Joe List, my favorite one of all time, Joe List, where I and out where he and I were out drinking and we lived one stop away from each other in Queens. So I would get off the train, then he get off the next stop and he was fine. Yeah. He was sitting up. We were hammered. And I'm like, all right, man, night, and I leave. And this is still in the era of flip phones. And about 4.15 in the morning, I get a text where he's like, I finally got home. He fell asleep in Queens, and then the train went all the way down to Coney Island into, the, like, the train yard. And he woke up, and he was like, there's no seagulls in Queens. And then he was, like, <laughs> was like, oh, shit, I'm in Brooklyn. And then he got on a different train and fell asleep again and went up to the Bronx and then had to get oh another my train. God. I was like, dude, that is the best. You, he did four out of five burrows, drunkenly falling asleep. <laughs> he went to the end. Dude, it was crazy. Train line. Uh, and then one day he shit in somebody's shoe. That was near that – was, those are the same time period. Okay, good. Joe yeah. could go. I mean, I, Guy could really Joe, go. <laughs> good for him, dude. Uh, Morty, is there anything? Yeah, I'm going to make a tenuous segue here talking about uh, Secure. Uh, when these guys first started blowing up, uh, Tom York of Radiohead was clearly insecure about them because this is his quote. The fact that poor Arctic monkeys are getting so much attention is purely based on the fact that the mainstream music business is such a bunch of fucking retards as far as I'm concerned. And then Arctic's drummer, Matt Helders, replied that he nearly fell asleep at the wheel while listening to a Radiohead album. That's really funny. That was sort of how, yeah. But you can see how they were. What a person, what a perfect response. (laughs) Well, you got to remember for any band that had more than one record or two records, these guys came out of the box with two singles that went to number one prior to the record coming out yeah, and then the record exploding without any, you know, I mean, these guys have been working and doing shows yeah, yeah. And, and three years ago, these guys were rapping and skateboarding. Jesus. You know, that's got to suck. If you're Tom York and you're like, I yeah. was playing a synthesizer in a haunted mansion near a lake and you guys were just doing kick flips and fucking spitting bars. <laughs> All right, where are we? Marby Bum, then, uh, which is a great song. Perhaps Vampires is a bit strong, but let's get to When the Sun Goes Down. Because uh, this second number one single is about the prostitutes and pimps that hung out outside of their Neepsend rehearsal studio and the shady and possibly dangerous dudes that came around to pick them up. Uh, in my opinion, this is the best song on the record. I think this is yeah. extremely mature for 19-year-olds. Uh, new JT, play 41 seconds in. And I've seen him with girls of the night And he told Roxanne to put on her red light 
They're all infected, but he'll be all right, cause he's a scumbag, don't you know? I said he's a scumbag, don't you know? I could listen to this whole song. It just, it yeah, just dude. keeps going. That song There's is so much. That's the song that going through this, I was like, man, this song fucking rules. When the sun goes down, it was like, yeah. you know, I, I think the last album we did was Synchronicity with the Police, and yeah, I, I left that liking a couple songs, but this was like, oh man, I fucking this song jams. It really does. It's it's this really blows my mind that nineteen year old yeah were mature enough to. I mean, lyrically, I mean, lyrically, musically, everything about it is just starting the way they do, kicking it in, and then it, it just the way it just keeps building and building until the end. It, it's it's a very fucking mature song. Yeah. Uh, it, it's impressive, man. It's really impressive. Um, so I wanted to ask you this. Uh, this is kind of a two-parter because I wanted to ask this question on one of the other songs, but uh, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of the same question. Uh, have you ever been screwed over in the business or... Or and uh, when have you prostituted yourself? Oh shit, man! I mean, those are all in the same fucking area. <laughs> but exactly. yeah, I mean, I think getting screwed over is. Uh, I think getting screwed over is like how you kind of look at that because I think if you expect certain things in this business and you don't get it, you can kind of sometimes be like, "Oh, I got screwed over." But as far as actually being like ripped off, I'm I, I'm I'm pretty sure outside of like bookers and and people that have like promoters that have just severely underpaid me there's only been one or two times where a guy's been like i'm gonna send you a check and then you're like where's the check and then it takes like you and another person to be like hey i got it give me that fucking check yeah but i mean that's the whole game of prostituting yourself out if someone's willing to pay you you know especially when you're starting you don't have anything to fall back on you don't have representation that's there to fight for you because that's all the representation is is it lends itself to to validity like having these these agents call and be like hey give them his money because that's all we are we're just one agent away from them being like i ain't gonna give you fucking money and you're like <laughs> yeah but i did my sillies and the people liked my sillies and they're like go fuck yourself but i yeah. i would say the most i felt like i prostituted myself was the job that i got to stop waiting tables and just basically do comedy full-time was in between that I worked as a brand ambassador for Guinness. So awesome for someone that drinks, but you know, and I was drinking still at the time, but after a while you were like, we did live shows and the difference between doing stand-up comedy and doing one of these like heavily corporate, you know, obviously well-paid, but it just felt so fucking gross just being like, are you guys ready for more beer? And like <laughs> yeah. the whole crew that we traveled, which could watch every night, my soul just take a dick kicking and I would just keep yeah. drinking because I'd be like, ah, get us. But it was giving me money to not have to wait tables. So I kind of knew what it was going through, but I was like the hooker with the heart of gold. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to top off this last John, but then all my money is going to nursing school. <laughs> yeah. was- I used to do, I used to do something very similar to that. I don't know if you probably had that in, in, in Arizona or in Denver, the guy that would go around with a bunch of cigarettes. Hell yeah, to, dude. Like, Hell yeah. yeah. With camels with a K. I still yeah, remember yeah, yeah. the certain brands. American yeah, I remember, spirit. Dude, the first time I met Theo Vaughn, 
was giving him and, and all the other real world road rules challenge people cigarettes because they used to come to bar Baltimore power plant live in Baltimore. And, and I mean, it was like, they would all show up and it's just funny. It's, this is the funniest thing too, is that anytime I, I not anytime when I first started getting to know Theo, I'd always want to talk to him about road rules and sure. the challenges. And he just wanted enough. He wanted that part of his life just to go away. Yeah. And I absolutely. was like, no, but I was like, I was like, tell me about when you hooked up with Tanya. And yeah. Like, he's like, no man, what are you doing? Yeah. That's <laughs> Nothing, so funny. But you would give him cigarettes. You'd give him packs of cigarettes. I'd give dude. I, I was, I was actually, it, it, I felt it was, it was, you know, in college, you know, so it was, it was very, very similar to kind of what you were doing, but but at the same time, you were still working on your craft already. I was just going around giving out people fucking cigarettes. Fuck, did you get free um, cigarettes, though? Dude, oh. I was smoking like three packs a day back then, bro. That's how you got that sweet voice. <laughs> That's the money maker. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I was like, y'all want some cigarettes? One day I'm going to go through a you. bunch of albums with randos, <laughs> and this voice is going to be the road that that car drives on. Yeah, dude. Highway 69. To you quote know the great up. audio slave, I am the highway. <laughs> I am the highway go and save yourself <laughs> blame it all on me <laughs> all right uh from ritz to rubble this this fucking slaps dude um this time alex tries to get into a club but gets humiliatingly turned away by a couple aggressive bounces looking for a fight despite a few more various attempts to enter he eventually makes peace with it and ends up hooking up with another girl in his frustrated and delicate state last night these two bounces and one room's all right the other ones are scary and his way or no way totalitarian he's got no time for you looking or breathing how he don't want you to so step out the queue he makes examples of you and there's no way you can say behind the go through to the bit where you pay and you realize then that is finally the time to walk back past ten thousand this, what's funny about all these songs is they all tend to be the same where it's like this guy's having a bad night but then he gets into the dance club and gets laid and everything's okay yeah. and he's like but I mean, he, they must they must have fucked a lot <sighs> are you kidding people? me that much i mean dude that yeah he was that fucking that foreskin <laughs> was getting pulled back just constantly <laughs> yeah. When that it's album came all, out, all of them had foreskin. Yeah, dude. No, nobody that's had a, a sheep penis. That's a thick trunk bunch, dude. <laughs> a bunch of guys with, with Sharpe necks around their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think, you forget once you get out of America. Oh uh, yeah, dude. You got to pull it back. <laughs> you got to pull that back, baby. That's that was the first name of their first tour. Was pull it back tour. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know. All these birds just keep coming up to me and flowing it at me. It's like, are you ready for bad company and Fleetwood Mac, the pull it back tour? (laughs) Through the UK. You know, your baby gotta pull it back, pull it back. Uh, What's the worst you've ever been turned down? Oh, shit, man. Uh, What a. So many options to talk about. The one that hurt the most was when I was in college. It was just the most public humiliating. And I asked this girl out in my study group and she had an Ohio accent in, in the middle of the, like, you know, everyone's coming out of their classes. And I was just like, hey, would you, do you maybe want to go get dinner on Friday or something? She goes, Dan, I have a boyfriend. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're standing <laughs> outside and you're just like, 
Oh, cool, cool. Anyways, okay, yeah. I heard we got a big game against State this weekend. <laughs> Dan, that, I have a boyfriend, and it was just like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, my bad. I've been to Ohio. I'm going back to Ohio with Jay this weekend. Oh yeah, you guys are going to Columbus. Yeah, I, I, I don't hate it, but it's like I always look at Ohio as shittier Pennsylvania. Nah, man, Ohio rules. Ohio and Pennsylvania are just like twins. They're they're very similar. Protect your market right now. I know. And also, don't forget, you can check me out in Cleveland coming up in June. (laughs) Hey, uh, hey, Josh, can I can I talk to you off mic real quick? (laughs) What what the fuck are you doing, dude? You're fucking sabotaging a bunch of these words. The funny you think I like going to Ohio? Stop you think I like going chocolate. to Pennsylvania? You think I don't like staying on our sweet coasts? I'm kidding. I love God. Ohio and Pennsylvania. Gas station food, maybe. Any place that yeah, yeah, where yeah. their gas station food is good, I'm, I feel at home. Okay, I dig that. Morty, you got anything to add about this? Yeah, for the Ritz of the Rubble, then this was Alex's attempt to emulate the influence of a '70s punk performance. Uh, sorry, '70s punk performance poet <laughs> Polk? John was, Cooper. He's doing Polk yeah, up? James T. Polk. He was trying <laughs> to imitate a president that he didn't know a lot he's about. Like, and and uh, you think you really know, but Polk had some good policies. <laughs> John Quincy Adams he, did. He actually got rip. it mixed up with Taft. That's but so funny. In his mind, that's all he knew. <laughs> These stupid Brits don't know their Polk from their Taft. This is Alex's attempt to emulate the influence of 70s punk performance poet john cooper clark and this and fake tales of san francisco were on that self-released ep five minutes with arctic monkeys that was the two song set that came out before the record deal wait wait is john cooper clark that does he does that song the bloody hits the bloody rents the bloody rents the bloody remember it was in it was in hold on dude did everybody watch sopranos yeah you remember this this is final season final season of 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 fucking sopranos and it was it's the song it's just the song and i remember it and then the funny thing was my sister met this guy in fucking england a few years like he was sitting at a table and the kids were they were they were like visiting and he was there and he was like staring at him and then I, they started talking to him and i don't know it's not really that pointless he's an interesting looking what I'm guy saying, but he looked like i just bob wanted to dylan. play that song yeah he looked like bob dylan back in the day really cool like a, like a polka dot shirt and big hair and like sunglasses and uh and he would perform with punk bands, so that's what that was. Hey, look at this dude! Can you guys see? Oh yeah, dude. yeah. That's him more <laughs> more now. But I remember reading about him in like the early '80s, and he was like, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of you know punk men. Jim Carroll, a couple others guys, but he was like the punk poet of England, yeah. And everybody took to him. But when you hear that, you can absolutely hear Alex Turner, you know, and he's 19, you know. So think of the shit you got into at that age, where you were like, "Does anybody know J.D. Salinger? Yeah. Have you read this fucking thing?" You know, like, yeah, they're just super, yeah. they're super jacked on certain ideology. Just like, I fucking yeah, love this. Just, I just learned knows. this. Yeah, nobody knows this. Yeah, I found this. Yeah. All right, final song, A Certain Romance. It's great. It's a fun way to end the record. Uh, Morty, let's get to some facts, bro. Bring us with the facts. Facts yeah, attacks. Yeah, okay. So the album's title was taken from a line from the influential 1958 novel, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, written by Alan Silito. It's his first book about Arthur Seaton, a 21-year-old charismatic but amoral working class fella who goes out and drinks and shags and fantasizes about a better life. Alex Turner felt the obvious similarities between that book and this album. And by the way, Morrissey was another huge fan of the book and the subsequent film and play. And you can hear about that in a lot of, you know, Smith songs. But one of the big differences is that Morrissey fucked men. So allegedly 
allegedly. That's all alleged. He's pissed right now at The Simpsons. Really? Did you, did you Yeah. So they did a whole episode called Panic on the Streets of Springfield where uh, Lisa gets into, she's trying to find music she likes. She hates everything, but she starts falling in love with like the British, like the Smiths and things like that. Yeah. And so she has, starts having this imaginary character that is Morrissey, but he's he's named something different, and it looks just like him. And then the re- she goes to see the real Morrissey play, and he's like racist and and something else. It's a and whole thing. So he put out this. Yeah. He put out, dude. He put out a statement, Dan, basically being like, "Simpsons has lost its way. It's not funny. It's not good satire. It's not like Saturday Night Live, which is Whoa. killing it right now." And I was like, "Oh, Morrissey, Morrissey. Oh, poor you Morrissey. Sad man. You, you are so you know, wrong." Nothing about comedy, bro. Yeah. Nothing. Just throw your flowers. He's like, actually, honestly, I really enjoyed that Sarah Cooper special, <laughs> but everything beyond that was just pure shit. And you're like, I'm telling you, Black Mitzvah is the greatest special to come out. Come at me right now. I'll tell you right. There's some. Yeah, dude, that's fucking woof. Are you guys both really shocked that Morrissey has a. <laughs> no, not at all. Sense of, sense of humor. Yeah, you're absolutely like, right. He it, didn't get that joke. It's if he would have gotten, if he would have gotten I it, I would have been like, "Oh wow, Morrissey's <laughs> fucking fun. He's hip." Yeah, Morrissey gets it. All right, so Dan, what's so artistically, who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think comedy-wise, inspiration. It's it's uh, you, you get so many of them that you actually have to start ignoring them, or you're gonna start sounding like it. But I've brought them up several times, and I've talked about it at length before but i'd say josh homie is one of my favorite people to uh listen to his creation process because i think he has a very uh humble and awesome approach to how he makes music and i think that's a fun thing to try to you know be inspired by if not yeah. emulate but i i kind of yeah. like people that um I kind of like people that respect what they're making and like what they're making and don't uh make too big of a deal out of it and just kind of hope that the product speaks for itself. And I've always felt like that about Queens of the Stone Age. Dude, such a good band. Such a good band. I got into them uh, second record, so early on. Yeah, so you got into Rated uh, R, which is... I'll never forget the first time I heard, uh, whatever you do. Yeah, Lost Art I keep saw the speaker. video for yeah. that. And yeah, I, I've been a fan ever since. I, I think that's one of the coolest things. Uh, is I went with Bill uh, when he opened for them. Crazy. The that was one of the most, like, um, two of my favorite things in one place where I was like, man, Bill Burr's open for Queens of the Stone Age. I would pay high dollar for that ticket. Yeah. Yeah. He killed it. He, he's going to say that he didn't do well, but he fucking killed it. It's like that's a hard set. Yeah, Nobody's dude. expecting comedy. And- well, we know that when we talked to Jay about when he opened for Zombie and, like, you know, when he would open for Corn, and it's like, dude, that's fucking outside trying to get people to listen to your comedy fuck that i would honestly when i saw that bill burr was opening for queens of the stone age there wasn't any jealousy of like i wish i could be on that show i was like i just don't want to watch that show i don't want any of that yeah. pressure i want to it enjoy was, that shit it was the shit dude it's the shit it's also the shit be able to see a band so up close and side stage sure and, you know that's the best shit about doing festivals like yeah. I'm hoping you know we can start going back and doing like bonnaroo yeah we well we did we you we were at bonnaroo together yeah both you two did years it, you, 2015 yeah, 2016 I, well i did the 16 year with you and that was when we yeah, saw that LCD was the year you guys came out there and i hung out yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. That was the first time we really hung out, and I that was the first time I ever did uh, MDMA, and it was for LCD Sound System. 
I remember. Yeah, and I, I was remember. standing right next to you, and I was like, this shit is awesome. And you're like- <laughs> I love you, Josh. Yeah. I love you. I was like, dude, Here, I got shit pouring out of me. That was fucking incredible. <laughs> I was like, man, I did a show that night, and I just apologized to all the club kids I ever made fun of. I was like, I get it. I fucking get it. I get why <laughs> yeah. you wear wings. I get why you put glitter in your tits. I get it all. Uh, that was actually the first because I had just gotten off of opiates May 17th, 2016. And that was like I was really nervous about going to that festival um, and not being on drugs. Yeah. And I had so much fun being sober and like being like, you know, it was yeah. just it was it was to be honest with you. I don't know if I would have stayed sober if I if I you know, if I get through, if I didn't have that weekend at Bonnaroo where you have fun. Yeah. Sober. If I mean, it, it's it's because you eventually you're just like, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to have fun in life if I'm not on painkillers. And then you do. And you're like, yeah, I don't need this shit. Sure. Yeah, that's absolutely. It's just, a, you know, mental mind frame. Fucking change mental it mind up. frame. Uh, all right. Morty. Uh, all right. Go ahead. OK, great. So the cover of the album is a picture of their friend Chris McClure of the local band, The Violet May, who they got wasted so he would represent sort of what the album was about. That's awesome. And he's smoking a cigarette on the cover, and that got criticized by the Scotland's National Health Service for glorifying smoking. The band disagreed by saying, well, you can see from the image, smoke is not doing him a world of good. Yeah. He looks like Which I thought dick. just a great. He just looks a like great, dick. Like, look at him. Damn. He's, he's a, a poster boy for not. Total schlub. Total schlub. Right. Yeah. He's just fucking. And you could tell he's. By the way, he got wasted and they didn't think he was wasted enough at one point, I believe. And they made him go out and get more wasted. And apparently he puked and they have photos of that also. You know what's. Dude, this is another fact, uh, Dan, from a different album we did, but Leonard, the Leonard Skinner cover. Yeah. Didn't didn't like that. There's Morty. What is it? The guy that threw up. They took the picture, the cover of the, or the back cover of uh, a pronounced Leonard Skinner. The back covered, I forget who it was, but they took the picture of them like standing on the street, like outside the studio. And right after they took it, like the bass player like just goes, oh, it just throws up. On damn. Them. Damn. Yeah. Dude, that must have been so damn fun to be in the music business. Or you just get fucking <laughs> And this bullshit comedy thing we're doing. Uh, all right, Morty, what else you got? This one I love. At their elementary school, remember, like three of the guys went to like school together. Yeah. Two or three of them went to school. So at their elementary school graduation ceremony, Alex, Matt, and some friends mimed a performance to Oasis's Morning Glory with Matt lip syncing for Liam and Alex playing bass on a tennis racket. I want to remind you, Alex is born in 86. That's hilarious. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I thought that was adorable. That is fucking um, adorable. I'm doing one do. wall, and then uh, you know, and then they get the biggest album, and that band's like, "Fuck them, they soak." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the Oasis guys are like, even though they're kind of like, I'm not going to call them a joke at all. Now it's just there's something about both of those guys that I fucking love, dude. Like I, I do, I like their music, but I love like the way that Liam tweets. Mm-hmm. It's just, just like great. talking shit. Just talking shit, dude. I mean, like Jim Jeffrey said, he's like, he's like, he's uncancelable. Yeah. And he'll say the most obnoxious shit. Yeah, dude. He'll just say shit people. to be like, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, nothing. Exactly. And, and they'll like, fight. Yeah. I would love to see that. I would love to see who could win in a fight between like the British rock stars. First of all, Morrissey's getting his ass kicked. Watch him know like Krav Magra. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or just <laughs> deep level jujitsu and can fucking wrap him up and choke him out. Yeah. This is Ty Lover, though, isn't it? Yeah. 
All right, what else? Morty. Okay, uh, I got just, two, a couple more. So right. not only is this the fastest selling debut album in the UK, which got them into the Guinness Book of World Records, but it sold more copies on its first day alone than the rest of the top 20 albums combined. Damn. And sold more in a week than in a year in the US. I believe it. Damn. I believe Another it. reason you don't really know yeah. about them is in America, it sort of stiffed. Well, Damn. you know, they, they needed that. They needed that one song that everybody could dance to. And uh, do you want, is it, do you want to know? Is that the one? Yeah. Or, the, the big, nah, 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 nah. Oh, so it, like, that one transcended uh, the, the 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 style of music that you like. Because when I DJ to the strip club, I would play that for black chicks. I'd play it for Latina yeah. chicks. I'd play it for white chicks. Everybody liked that. Nothing on this record, like we mentioned earlier, is something that I could see like, you know, uh, like a black stripper being like, yo, put on that marbly bum. Put on fake tales of Mar- San Francisco. I'm going <laughs> to make this shit work. Yo, watch me make my ass clap to red light indicate the like, doors are closed. I popped. I don't know. It was, I got two songs. One of them was Juveniles Back That Ass Up and then there was this fast <laughs> British song. So I don't know what happened. I mean, you know this from radio though. I'd say the, the thing is a lot of these British bands, a couple albums in, like Muse did that same thing with that like slow disco. What was that? His, not Hysteria. What was that song? With a falsetto, and it was like the boom. that's every song of theirs. And it's no, but every they start song off sounds like Rachmaninoff and, and fucking Bach. Yeah, they started off like like Bohemian Rhapsody, and then by the time they got a few albums in, they were like, "Well, no, we'd also like to connect in America." You know, I think that's a that's a big thing. So finally, this shows you absolutely how huge they were. They performed "I Bet You Look Good" on the dance floor at the opening ceremonies of the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. Huge. Yeah, yeah. They pretty much you're representing your country in your country. <laughs> I think that's that's pretty like we have like Whitney Houston doing it here, and that's how big they were. That's six years after this album came out. Yeah, came out, wow, so pretty yeah, pretty huge. What was your most epic gig, Dan? Like the biggest one I've done is probably like the most people. One time they had me. It was like for a Comedy Central gig in Central Park, uh, uh, Stars Under the Stars. And they originally were going to have me like do a uh, warm-up, and then I was going to bring on Gabriel Iglesias, who was hosting the whole thing. But then Gabriel Iglesias was like, no, no, no. My boy goes on first. He's like the best warm-up guy ever. And I was like, fuck, yes. Because you didn't want to go cold. Yes, oh my God. And they were saying it like I might be like, no, I'm going to go first. And so they were like, so he's going to go up and he's going to get him crazy. Then he'll bring him up. And you. And I was like, dude, this is the best case scenario. I was. I yeah. went to the gig planning to bomb in front of 5,000 people outside. And then uh, he went up and then he brought me up and I had a fun set. It was like still light out, but it was fun. And I was like, this yeah. is amazing. And that was probably the biggest crowd I've performed. Easily the biggest yeah. crowd I've performed for. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've ever found this out, but... It, we've talked about it, but I went to go see um, the the Jokers uh, do Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And uh, we're side stage and, you know, there before I'm with Big J and Christine and, and Isabella and uh, they have some of their warm up people go up like, yeah. you know, Jiggy and some other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crowd's not really into it. And then Colin Jost, uh, Jost goes up, and he's getting, you know, some laughter, but the people are there to see the Jokers. That's And you know how their fans are, because you've done the cruise. Sure, and, I've, and, I, and, yeah, and then are, Jay and I did their, uh, hol- their Christmas show. 
You did okay, but so but I'm not saying like the, the the fans aren't good. It's just like they're really excited to see the Joker. Yeah, they don't and care remember, about you. <laughs> they're like, this is very this is a very unexpected epic gig. But I remember fucking uh, Sal looks at me because Sif is up there playing music, and he looks at me and he goes, "Hey Josh, why don't you go up there and uh, and just you know dick around with the audience for a few minutes?" And I was like, "Are you serious?" And he's like, "Go ahead." And then I just like look at Jeremiah Watkins and I'm like. You want to go? And we just, we run up there, 16,000 people, and we're just like doing like the musical crowd work shit that I do for the goddamn comedy jam. And fucking, it's the time of my life. I, it, it was like, it slowed down. I remember it's like, as you get up on stage, I'm like, Jeremiah, <laughs> let's go. And his face is like pale white. And it's just, we ran up there and probably up there for like, six seven minutes just like i jumped into the audience and started like singing like genuine's pony to somebody i mean it's like hack shit but like dude in front of sixteen thousand people crazy fucking crazy insane yeah, what's great that's is because i didn't it's, it's, it's so great is that in because they i it's not like he booked me ahead of time i had no time to think about getting nervous do you know what I mean? It yeah. was literally like, hey, go up there right now. Really? All right. Because yeah, if like, you would have told me that earlier in the day, I would have been like the whole day. You would have locked like, up the whole time. Yeah. It was fucking Fuck, incredible. Yeah, that's probably that's... the biggest crowd I've ever had. Um, all right. Let's do rapid questions and we'll get you out of here. All right. Favorite song on the record? Well, I would say Fake Tales of San Francisco, but I think that has been clearly usurped right now by uh, When the Sun Goes Down. Nice. Least favorite song on the record? <sighs> Still take you home. I know that sounds weird. I just didn't. Okay. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. I know. It's this is this is this is the soder feeling. Still take you home. Really didn't do much for me. Okay. What song on this record would you fuck to? Oh, well, there's a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> just are we talking hard slams? A little hard shag. I mean, how <laughs> but, do you fuck, dude? This is basically going to be very revealing about how you hump. A certain romance, maybe. Uh, when the sun goes down would be good. That would work <laughs> it out. It starts well. off slow, and you're like, yeah. And then you're a scumbag, don't you? Can, 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 all right, uh, and final question. Does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list, and is it ranked accordingly? I ranked accordingly, I can't really answer. However, after everything Morty has taught me about the album and listening to it as much as I did, I would say it absolutely deserves to be on this list. Uh, I, uh, you know, coming into this podcast, I was like, no, AM deserves to be on this list, but I didn't realize what it did in, in the UK. I didn't realize how it kind of set them up for their whole career. So yeah, this, this album is very important for the Arctic monkeys, uh, and their entire career. So yeah, I agree. It should be on the list. I, I think this influenced so many younger bands in England. Uh, it's, you know, you don't get to AM without this record. What I love about the band is that they keep changing their sound. Like, dude, do yourself a favor and watch, uh, early performances of them Okay, because they, they are kids, dude, acne, fucking young, barely talking to the audience and then watch some of the newer shit where he's worked, he's worked with Josh and his hair is like kind of yeah. like fucking like greaser style. Yeah. It's, it's impressive to see how they've been growing. Yeah. Don't you agree, Morty? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're, uh, you know, I mean, I, they're one of those bands that even then I, I have, you know, having looked back on it after doing the show, you know, working on it, I was going, okay, so they were like, you know, into hip hop, whatever. And they just got guitars 
and instruments like a few years before. And I thought that shows you really, I mean, you know, what it, you know, what must have gone into that to be like, we're like listening to like, you know, whatever over here, like just hip Jay-Z or whatever was out. And then all of a sudden there's like the strokes, like, wait a minute. And yeah. by the way, Alex's dad was a musician. So there was yeah. stuff. Okay. There's musical talent. I, yeah. I also, not to cut this off. Yeah. I remember when I was in England, I forgot to fucking mention this. There was a, there was a conspiracy theory that the Arctic monkeys were ghost written by a band called Reverend and the makers. I remember oh. at a pub, these people kept telling me this and they were like this girl that like knew a lot about them. I think she knew them or something, but there is a conspiracy out there and I looked for it and I found a little few a few things about it but i you know think about it man 19 year old kids can you write a record yeah. this mature especially when you just picked up guitars yeah not too long ago yeah, i don't know musically i mean lyrically if you listen to a lot of hip-hop i mean you know he's talking to us it also sounds real you know there's a lot of shit going on here through the sheffield sort of you know dialect but it's like a kid talking about like you know really it's kind of rappy i mean it doesn't sound like it when you look at it but when you take it apart and see how many words per bar He's he's like you know that's a dad who dad's a man to dad is it's like holy fuck <laughs> this guy is like ripping and then you look at it and you're like and he's really just going like you know you look like a guy from 1984 which by the way I take is totally offensive yeah, as yeah. an insult I'm like wow you look like me when I was 38 like, yeah. wow I'm kind of yeah, yeah but I, I just you know it could happen you put two three solid years and they didn't they didn't put the band together and then get signed. They had a couple years in between, put the band together, played together a year later, and then a year after did gigs. Mm -hmm. So you're diligent, man, you could do it. Mm -hmm. So let all the Fleece Army know, you can do this. You can, do you this. can be you the know. biggest band in England. You can absolutely do this. <laughs> to, to write songs about drinking and make all your lyrics like, I'm living on some man and one man is scary. I'm the whole man is something <laughs> and old man totalitarian. I'm back on dinner. I'm asleep on the couch and then I'm back at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, what do you got to promote? Go ahead. Uh, live dates going back on the road. Indie, Buffalo, DanSoder.com. And listen to The Bonfire Monday through Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Faction Talk, Sirius XM 103. Nice. Morty, who do you that want to shout too, out? I on? was too perfect. I'm going to be like all stumbling now. <laughs> uh, DJ Morty Coyle on Twitter. If you're on Clubhouse, find me on there. A lot oh, of our God. guests are, and it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> go check out Be and Daddy Cartoons to hear a lot of the, some of the songs we do on this show. Uh, on Instagram. And then I want to give a shout out to on Twitter, Capania, I believe it's K-A-P-A-G-N-A. -A -A. They go by Paggy, but they've been a big supporter of the, the show as a Fleece Army member. So we just want to give a shout out and thank you very much for always uh, writing about us and putting questions out there. I love you, Capangi. I love you. Uh, Dan, this was great. Thanks for having me, buddy. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Dan Sodes. Danny Sodes. Follow him on all social media at Dan Soder. Go to his website, dansoder.com for all things Sod. Listen to The Bonfire on Sirius XM uh, every night at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Faction Chalk Channel 103. It's one of the funniest shows out there. And uh, support this dude, man, because he's a special, special person, Fleece Army. Now... We just listened to Arctic Monkeys from 
Arctic, Arctic Monkeys from 2006. Our new music pick this week is The Moon Kids, an electrifying pop rock quartet from Scotland that's been featured on BBC Radio and K-Rock Los Angeles. And you are listening to the song Touch of Venice of their brand new EP, Ride with the Hurricanes. Find all the links, 500podcast.com. And if you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, guys, Fleece Army, Cadougals. It's another Mata Hoopa week. And man, oh man, Ashevitz, do we have a special guest for you. You're going to be pouring sugar all over your ass, baby. 1973's record, Mott. Man, I love this band. And if you haven't heard it, listen to it, do your homework, stay fleecy, doobly doobly.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Porn. Satan. Drugs. Therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.